Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. To the Outstanding Ohioans. Outstanding Ohioans. To the Outstanding Ohioans. To the Outstanding Ohioans. Podcast. Podcast. Hosted by my daddy. Hosted by my daddy. Hello, thank you for turn, tuning in to episode two of the Ohio, Outstanding Ohioan Show. Today our guest is Dr. Jim Burson, basketball coach, consultant, author, speaker, and owner of Solution-Based Basketball. You can find Jim Burson at www.jimburson.com. Coach, thank you for joining us today. Boy, well, it's great to be here, and uh, like most mornings, uh, fired up, ready to go, and it's, uh, you know, we, including my wife and I just got back from Chicago, and so I have a couple of days here to regroup, and it's wonderful to get a chance to talk to you. Great, great. There's so much we could talk about, and we, for the listeners, Coach and I have had a lot of conversations via email, and then a conversation on the phone last night. So many questions that I've have to ask him, but what we kind of decided to do is take a broad perspective and, and look at Coach's career and, and getting some of the detail and the background behind that. So, Coach, tell us about your your early childhood growing up in Marysville, Ohio. Well, it's amazing because it was in the 40s and 50s, so you know I'm, I'm older. At age 73, I keep telling people that my mantra is the best is yet to come, and that's been the way I've kind of lived my life. Um, grew up poor uh, and didn't know it, which is the best way to grow up. Uh, my dad was a mechanic. He worked for International Harvester in Springfield, Ohio, and he was out early in the morning to drive to Springfield and, and home late. And he came in and out, and of course, my mom was the glue that held the family together, as is the case of a lot of, of uh, families. And it was a beautiful time. I had. Uh, three older sisters and three younger siblings, so there were seven of us in the family. And like I said, uh, we kind of rallied ourselves together, and, and I laugh, I tell people that that uh, all my friends said, well, boy, you're really tough. And I said, well, you grew up with three older sisters, you have to be tough. <laughs> and the truth of that is that, you know, in, in, in big uh, families, you wear hand-me-downs. So it was stuffed on the school with saddle shoes, girl saddle shoes on, and a training bra. That's what they passed down to me. And I said, I was just kidding about the training bra. But the saddle shoes got me in a fight one morning because they were right in front of me. But great, great family, great people, um, beautiful way to, to live. And Marysville at that time was five, less than 5,000. So you kind of knew everybody. You knew your neighbors. Uh, and I just went back for my 55th high school reunion. How fast did that go? And that, uh, when we went back to the it was over 25,000 and growing every day. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's about 30 minutes from Columbus. So, uh, you know, I had nothing but good things about my teachers, uh, about my coaches, about my family, about my friends. Growing up in the 50s may have been as beautiful time as, as you possibly could have done it. And, and I just saw my classmates, some of, some of them were on, in wheelchairs at age 73, and some were tired and some were worn down a little bit, but I only saw them as 18-year-olds because um, I didn't see them with my eyes, I saw them with my heart. 
And I think that, uh, that they were all beautiful. So we had a wonderful time in Marysville. Like everything else, uh, if you believe in the people that you share your experiences with, experiences will just be beautiful. So Marysville was great. And uh, if you have any specific concerns, you know, my, one of my favorite high school and junior high teachers was Don McKillop. Was a history teacher, and, and uh, I probably might have been a history teacher had I continued uh, and, and not coached, uh, because that was one of my uh, majors in teaching, uh, was, was what I really wanted to do when I got out of college. And my high school basketball coach, Bob Tucker. And Bob Tucker gave me a little quote <clears throat> 55 years ago when I left to go to college. I have it on my bulletin board today. It's just when you study, really study, and when you play, play hard. And that's been kind of, yes, and some people get all mixed up. You know, when they're studying, they're thinking about playing, and when they're playing, they're thinking about studying or girls or something else. <laughs> and I think what he was telling to me is, if you want to do it, nothing will stop you, because you'll focus and you'll concentrate, and you have the patience, and, and, and you'll work hard enough to do it. So that message has really been strong with me, and you can tell that, because here I am, 55 years later, uh, thanking those two people who set the foundation for the, the kind of person that I've become. Terrific. I have a, I have this, I have a sentence I would like for you to, to complete, and it'll, it'll kind of tie into my next question. Without playing sports growing up, I probably would have ended up doing blank. Well, I certainly would not have been a mechanic. <laughs> that, my dad was a mechanic, and he worked at a place called Skinny Spanish Garage, and he worked for the International Harvester. That's where he worked in uh, Springfield. And he thought I was a little strange because he would take me out go-karting with him, and, and he, he drove stock cars, and he loved to go hunt. I didn't like any of those things. I was in reading a book or studying, uh, and, and I probably would have been either a history teacher or an English teacher. Because um, in, in my uh, English things, uh, the other players and the kids that school with it, because I would say, oh, teacher to ask your question, I said, oh, that's I am pentameter. I tear her tattered innocence down long as she waved and high. And then and I have chances to see the banner and say, oh, I am side. And I, I always enjoyed those things, still do. Hmm. And uh, so I probably would have been involved in teaching, but it would have I, I would have been a history teacher and probably some kind of an English teacher with an emphasis on poetry. So, and uh, people are like, boy, that's, that seems strange, but it helped me get my wife because she is a classical uh, pianist and uh, an MBA from uh, uh, Columbia. And uh, on our first date, I was playing pretty for face, the Grand Canyon Sweet Professor. <laughs> so that, that, that background always helps you. You, you never know when, when your background might, might come in. So uh, I, I would have still been a teacher, I think. And anybody that's in New Concord where I am knows that I definitely would not have been a mechanic. So <laughs> that, that, that's out. <laughs> so and you may have, I think you've alluded to some of the, the mentors you had already growing up, but how did, what, what, what built that passion for for your interest in education and sports? You, you know, I, I, I think it was um, one of those things that's kind of inherent in you. Uh, you. You either want to learn 
or you don't. And, and I think my my biggest passion was watching my dad and mom both struggle. Dad didn't finish high school. Mom didn't finish high school. My mom was really a great lady, but uh, and was always on me about you have to finish school. You, you, and nobody, none of my brothers or sisters, none of my mom's relatives had, had gone to college. You got to remember, this is the fifties. So, you get involved in playing sports. What, what were the sports that you played in high school and college? Well, it, it's pretty much like everybody in the 50s. I played football, basketball, baseball. And Marysville being a small school, you could do that. And I even had um, a cousin of mine, Eddie Nichols, who, who ran track. And, and he was always a hero of mine and still is today, although he's passed away, uh, because he was a great football player, probably one of the best Marysville ever had, a great basketball player, still holds basketball scoring record, uh, was a good baseball player, and then ran track and, and was a hurdler that went to the state in, in the hurdles. Uh, and, I, and, he, and he still, he was about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, 200 pounds in the 50s. That's a big kid. Hmm. And uh, I always wanted to be like like that, but uh, I learned in football, basketball, baseball, kind of just to emulate what he did. I never did run track. Um, just because I wanted to spend more time on baseball, but uh, most of the most of my friends uh, did the same thing. You know, I like I think of names like Dick Wilson, who was my buddy, and Jerry Brown, who was my cousin, and we all played the same sports together in in high school. 
And I was lucky because I was the captain of football, basketball, and baseball, and the most valuable player in all three of those for my junior and senior years. So just, you know, if football came, we played football. When basketball came, we played basketball. When baseball came, we played baseball. And in the summer, we kind of relaxed, enjoyed life, and went swimming. Mm-hmm. And of course, today, in our society, you got to play baseball year-round, basketball year-round, football year-round, so it's really difficult to us to uh, be a kind of a jack of all trades, but uh, it, it, it was great because that's what I really love to do. My dad loved to hunt and fish and go build uh, gardening, and I love sports, and, and was just so blessed to be able to, to do that my whole life. The thing that I love best, I got to teach and I got to coach. What a, what, a, what a beautiful way to live your life. Okay, so then you go to college, and, and what, what do you play in college? Well, I was one of the few people. Matter of fact, I'm the last one at Muskingum when I graduated in 60 then, the last one to, to letter in football, basketball, and baseball. And I, I really didn't think I'd play college football because I was six foot, about 155 pounds. And when I uh, went there, the first two people I met coming on the campus as a freshman was a guy by the name of Bill Cannonball Cooper. And you can imagine what he looks like. <laughs> and and, and uh, Bill Fraser. And Bill Cannonball Cooper was about 6'2", 235 or 40 pounds. And he was the fullback on the team, and he was an, you know, an academic All-American at Muskingum and led the nation in scoring in football his senior year and played for the San Francisco 49ers for, six, for seven years. And uh, just the best football player ever to play at Muskingum. Now, I don't know this. I'm just thinking he's the fullback, and my God, look how big he is. And the other guy was Bill Fraser at about six foot, 210 pounds, and he looked like a man. I mean, yeah, he hadn't shaven for a couple of days, and honest to God, they looked like beatles. <laughs> and I'm thinking, and I introduced myself, and they said, I'm Bill Cooper, fullback, and then I go, hi, I'm Jim Burson. <laughs> my voice hadn't changed yet, I'm thinking, what am I doing here? But uh, they were great people, and so uh, my football, uh, my first year wasn't as good as I thought it was. matter of fact, they had seven teams, and I was the quarterback of the seventh team. <laughs> so you can about figure out where I was. But through injuries and depletions, the next year I started as a sophomore, and we went undefeated. With maybe the best football team in the history of Muskingum. Hmm. But of course, all I did was hand the ball to Cannonball Cooper and get out of the way. Yeah, I love that name, Cannonball. Good. And he was a good student and a good guy. But just uh, what he was doing at Muskingum, he, he could have, I really believe, played at Ohio State. That's how good he was. Wow. So, so it was kind of nice getting to play with him. And then basketball, uh, because I. I got injured as a sophomore the last game I broke my uh, collarbone. I started as a freshman uh, and uh, missed my sophomore year because of a broken collarbone and then played again my junior and senior year. And baseball was, was fun, but my last two years I didn't play baseball just because I was married and uh, you know I had so many things to do with just kind of time to catch up. But shoot, I... That's what I did, you know, and, and it was the same thing. Football, you played in the football season, basketball, because we weren't lifting weights back then, and we weren't uh, in these off-season programs now, 
that, that people have. And so, and, and I think if you're going to be the best you can be, that's what you have to do. You know, my son Jay specialized in basketball. He, he played football as a freshman, uh, uh, I mean, a seventh or eighth grader. And I think it could have been a great split in because he was so quick and so fast, he would have never have been very big. But he, he gave it up to play basketball, which I think was a wise choice. So, but uh, yeah, I, I got to play. I had a great coach at my game called Ed Sherman, who's in the Hell's College Basketball Hall of Fame. And uh, if you learn from people like him, I still, when, even when I've got to go someplace, I've got to be five minutes early because if you're, if you're there on time, he says eight o'clock, and you're there at eight, you're late. Mm-hmm. So you're a three-sport athlete in high school and college. You're interested in learning. How? Why, why did you pick basketball to be the, the sport that you coach? Well, I'm not sure I picked it. I think it picked me. Uh, I went to Worthington High School one year and coached with an assistant in football. And they didn't have an opening in basketball. And I became the golf coach for one year. And so Ralph Sabach is another name, happened to be a Muskingum guy who was at Worthington, and he kind of fall into life sometimes. Uh, Ralph and his wife, Eula, were exactly the kind of image you'd want your son to play for and you'd want your son to coach with. Uh, Ralph was a beautiful guy. Eula was a great coach's wife. She just loved everybody and, and everybody that played. Was, was her son. And she gathered me around that first summer that, that I got into Worthington and and uh, made my wife and I feel like we were a part of, of the most important thing in the world, which was Worthington football, Worthington High School, and Ralph Sabach's family. And so, and, and that warmth and that kindness, I, my wife and I both stole it. You know, thank you. And that's the way that you teach. You teach who you are and what you are based upon who's helped influence your life. And uh, Ralph was a, was a beautiful influence. But then Ed Sherman called me uh, that summer after the first year in Worthington, and my wife didn't want to come back to New Concord because it's a small community, and she worked as a secretary when we were, I was married as a sophomore. And we... Uh, she didn't want to leave Worthington and Columbus, a beautiful place. But, but we came back and I was assistant in football, assistant in basketball, and now I'm the head tennis coach. So I'm getting a lot of background in golf and tennis and beautiful things because they carry over in, 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 the, in my whole life. And then I, two years later, Bob Burkholder gets a call from Ohio State, Fred Taylor, and Fred takes him back as the assistant, so now the job's open. And Bob Stokes takes that job, and he's the head coach, and now I'm his assistant. And after one year, he takes the head football job. 
And so they hire me as the head basketball coach. So all of a sudden, it, 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 it's as if it's providential. You know, somebody's saying, well, he's here, he's here, he's here. And I didn't just stop and say, this is what I want to do because I like coaching football uh, and I like coaching basketball. And I loved coaching golf and I loved coaching tennis. So, you know, I could have gone lots of different ways, but it's as if it's planned out for you. And, and, it, and it says, you're, you're going to be a basketball coach. And I coached basketball those first few years like Ed Sherman coached football, and I found out there are different sports and you can't do that. So I, I, I learned by trial by fire. <laughs> you know, you go, wow, that was not very smart. Well, what am I thinking here? But to survive, and I think I survived. In the third year I coached, I had a five foot eight center. <laughs> and uh, his name was Gene Ford, who went on to be an All American at Muskingum and the leading scorer in the history of the school, and is still coaching here. And his son Gino played at OU and was a was a great great player at Ohio. And it's uh, just great people. And, and Gene saved my cooking career. Hmm. He just said, hey, coach, get on my back and let me carry you. And he was about five, eight, hundred eighty pounds and played in the post. Wow. And, and he couldn't stop me. And, and finally, I figured out that you got to look at people for what they can do. Not because you're five, eight and I'm putting you outside to shoot three point shots. He couldn't do that. So my six foot six center, Gary Ferber from Canal Winchester, didn't like to go into the post area and he could shoot the heck out of the threes. So I have a six foot six point guard and a five eight center. Wow. And it, and, and it, and it just life lets you, if you just look around and don't fight it too hard, life will teach you. from the English teacher at Muskingum, 
That's a great segue into my next question. So you're you're coaching all these sports, and then and then you you pick the basketball lane, or it picks you, and you're also getting your masterate and your doctorate. What was that process like? Well, it was a beautiful thing. It's, it's again, when I went to Worthington, we had no money because there's a, a book I'm reading out now called The Richest Man in Babylon by George Clayson. And basically how to become rich is to give, set aside one-tenth of your earnings to reinvest in yourself. Mm-hmm. And you got to do it every year. And you say, oh, I can't. We don't. Well, and I was reinvesting money to, to grow. I, I want to get a master's degree, and for some reason I want to get a PhD. And I really thought I'd end up being a teacher the college level as opposed to a coach for all that time with a law coach and 10 or 20 years now with teach. Well, but when I went to Worthington, they had a remission of fees and you could start your master's degree if you taught at Worthington in Franklin County and it didn't cost you anything. What a great program. So of course that first spring I took a couple of classes and the teachers would, I just go, wow. These guys are really good. Hmm. So when I went back to my scam, and remember now, I started off for $4,700 that first year. Hmm. And you go, and, and 
You spent you spent your from from the time you you went back to Muskingum you spent virtually your entire career there uh, before you retired. What what made that such a special place for you? Oh, 
jogging class, exciting. It makes your life exciting. And I think that that's the kind of message that I try to get across. It's not just a jogging class. It's a class that can change your life. So, so those are the, and he asked me, why did I stay at my game? Because it allowed me to do the things that I thought touched the people. And I would hope that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing by your blog, and, uh, by the podcast, by your children. You want them to be better. And you're going to do everything you can to see that happen. And as a teacher coach, that's exactly what we want for our students. Absolutely. So, Going back to the basketball, in your lifetime of involvement, what are the biggest changes that have happened to the game? Well, you know, uh, it's really funny. When they took the hand, uh, you know, when I played, the hand had to stay on top of the basketball. Mm-hmm. And you had to dribble like it. If you put your hand on the side of it at all, it was a trap. It was a turn. Now they can put the, their hand put it aside, and that allows you. That allows you to make the crossover move, the between the leg move, the pearl move. Uh, it changed the ball hammer to where he was in a position to beat the defensive player. And if you, you, you and I both know with genetics that the, the, the law of genetics is that if one thing gains an advantage over another, then things change. And so the defenses start getting better. And the kids started jumping higher. And so the big changes were basketball-wise. I think that, to me, was, was one of the really key changes. And then the, the change from uh, shooting the basketball in a, in a way in which you, I call it, beat, beat that on your elbow, where your elbow was a B and you shot it out. So now you went to a U and you shot it up. So you can now shoot your jump shot in an elevator. I mean, in a, uh, yeah, in, in a little uh, telephone box booth. You can jump up and shoot it out and get it on. So that, that the change of shooting, uh, the change of ball handling, and, and really the, the, the rule says you're allowed to, to, to do that. And then the countering of great defense. And one moment that stands out in my life, I'm in a gymnasium at Lustingham at a basketball camp one summer. And we were, someone was talking about a guy named Al LaBalbo, who goes to Fairleigh Dickinson, and that he was Bobby Knight's guru on defense. And he says he goes on defense with a guy in line man's screen, and he jumped out at the guy and helped and recovered back to his man. And I'm looking at this, well, you can't do that. They'll just throw it to you manly. Well, he said he jumped out and I threw it and the guy intercepted it. I wow. Hmm. So help and recover defense was such an epiphany for me to look at that and go, wow. And of course, today the pick and roll is the key staple in basketball and how the defense becomes the next great creation. How do I stop it? And that's what has made basketball so good. You get better at what you do, I'm going to get better at what I do to stop it. And uh, that balance point, uh, advantage, disadvantage, is a constant, uh, is a constant battle in, in the game of basketball. So 
Lots of changes. Uniform changes. Attitude changes. Parental attitude changes. I know if my junior high coach down the hill kicked my butt because I was late or did something like that. I don't want that kick my butt. Uh, there was not much challenging of teachers. So all those kinds of changes are beautiful things because it's part of the evolution process of life. And, uh, you know, and whatever evolution it is, you better be trying to adjust to it rather than saying, I don't like that change. Well, good luck. Because change is what makes life the way it is. So, so that, that, those are some differences that may have, uh, Just, just to follow up, what are, what's your feeling on the restrictions for high school coaches working with their athletes in the summer and in the AAU takeover of summer basketball? Administrators' fault in the first place, and they're going to have to help clean it up. 
So uh, I, I, I think those CD character AAU guys did a great job of saving basketball, particularly saving summer basketball for people when they work at it. So I, I still, I love playing football, basketball, baseball, so I, I still have a hard time with year-round playing basketball because I think there's a lot of burnout. A lot of burned out kids trying to suck through another year of basketball, and that means preseason basketball and weight. That means basketball. That means that means postseason basketball and workouts and trying to improve your skills. And and year round, I think just wears on you. So you know, I I, I think balance is my big key thing. But if I'm a basketball coach, coach today in high school, I want to play it all the time. Nineteen eighty four, you partnered with a fellow Ohioan, Coach Knight, and worked with the USA basketball team. Can you can you tell the audience what was your involvement with that? Well, I saw Bobby Knight at a uh, clinic. He was speaking, and I just because I had known him through Fred Taylor, I knew him through Bob Burkle. So I was around him when when he was in college a little bit. And, and I knew him and followed his coaching career, and he and I had talked several times. And, and it was 1980, maybe 83, that he's going to be the Olympic coach. And we're talking. And I just said to him, you know, I'm eligible for a sabbatical this time. I can't afford to, to take a full sabbatical. I'm taking a half one because if I take a full semester, they pay you, give you half your pay. But if I take a half one, they give me full pay, they, they pay me. So Mustang had physical education. They had four different sections, four deep weight stations. So I could teach, you know, jogging the first eight weeks and then something else. So, so I told him that I can teach those eight weeks and take off the winner. And I said, didn't know if I might be able to find a way to help you at the Olympic trial. Well, you know, there's a, an overture. Thinking, he said, boy, that'd be great. He said, I need somebody to come out and organize the setup. And he said, would, would you be interested in doing that? And of course, I'm going, oh, would I be interested in uh, dating Marilyn Monroe? Because boy, that goes back a long time. <laughs> but, you know, you go, uh, oh, that, that would be. So I went through the college and got it set it up, made a proposal, and went out with Coach Knight and helped set up the Olympics in 84. And then, uh, of course, there's some great stories about Digger Phelps and other stories and about. George Rabbling over there coaching and uh, Hank Iber. I mean, names that just, I go, God, what am I doing here? But I got to go in and evaluate and got to vote to see who got pretty deep. You know, we voted on Charles Barkley and he didn't make it. And I'm going, wow. And John Stockton didn't make it. You know, And uh, so, you know, it, it, I, was, I was right in the middle of, one of the great moments in my life to be around that. And it just, I, it fell in because I asked Knight something. And again, it's providential. I was in the right space at the right time. I asked one question and I was involved with it and have been involved with Coach Knight. Just talked to him a week ago uh, for the rest of my life. So, you know, sometimes again, being in the right place, but young kid playing, and that didn't hurt any, because he was thinking about recruiting him for 
You know, that, that, I think from a coaching standpoint in the basketball community, people were aware of you in, for a long time. In 2003, you got some national recognition through an article in Sports Illustrated about the Princeton offense, and you acquired the nickname the Great Disseminator. What's the background on that? Yeah, that's good. 
said, so I talked to him a little bit, and he said, well, we got video tapes up there, so I'm look, they're, they're not going to give me any help at all, because at that time, all this stuff was secret, and I'm going, so I go up and look, and then I come and ask him a question, he said, yeah, I think, I think you're getting it, particularly like, yeah, the one guard waves the other guard, and I dribble towards that spot, and then I reverse pivot it, and then I throw it, and then I let a flare, and then I let a curl, and I, mm. I, I, I don't understand any of that. Well, he said, keep looking at it. He said, that's what we had to do. I said, thanks, Bill. <laughs> so I bugged him, and at the end of the camp of that week, I happened to meet his wife. And uh, I said, hi, I'm Jim Burson. She said, oh, yeah, the other guy's a pain in the butt. He said, he's been talking about you. And I said, well, good, I'm glad. She said, yeah, he said that he's had a lot of people come, but nobody was after as hard as you were. And I said, well, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out, but they don't give me much. And she don't have to get a saying, uh, if once he decides that you're worth giving it to, he, he'll give it to you. But he ain't going to give it to you unless you earn it. And so we took the information and took it back and studied it. And, and my assistant coaches were tremendous. Eddie DiGenova, a great mind in the game of basketball, uh, you know, really helped. And so we uh, studied it. And then I called him back up to talk to him about this. Is this what you do? Is this what you do? Is this what you do? And he said, boy, he said, you're really good with that stuff. I said, well, I'm getting better at it. And so he would talk to me then. Hmm. And, and it took me two whole years to put it in. And so, you know, you just learn the game and uh, what what they were doing was genius. I could never figure that out myself. But I, what I did was they teach it uh, kind of like if you're like a little painting and you paint and you get done and you go, wow. And if I paint, I put numbers down and paint my numbers. I took their offense and put it in the numbers. Here, this goes 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 here, this plugs into that. And I, I told people they really had five different offenses. One in Toledo, one in Cleveland, one in, one in Cincinnati, and one in Marietta. And they all run, they can run up to Columbus. Like when we're on to Toledo, that's a good trip. Or they can go straight from Marietta straight up to Cleveland. If you're going to go to... Marietta to Cincinnati, it's going to be a tougher trip. But I said, they have really five things they do. And here's the center of it. And people would go, oh, wow. And so they didn't have 150 different patterns. They had four things or five things that they did and then lots of situations out of it. And they were so good with it. It was unbelievable. So it was fun. It was fun for me to disseminate the uh, the information and then I would have people from all over the country call me and the interesting thing was they'd call me and want to learn the offense and five minutes later somebody called me and wanted to figure out how to defense it <laughs> so it, it went back to that same philosophy okay and they finally figured out how to defense it good enough that it's not as effective as it once was plus today's games changed nobody wants to run a pattern Nobody wants to slow down. So uh, it's, a, it's an interesting man. Like I'm going next week to uh, Virginia Tech, and we've got six coaches, including Shaka Smart, that are going to just talk basketball. And part of them will be what I call my cut and curl offense. Hmm. 
what do I cut, what do I curl? And if you can teach that, then you can run any offense. The side screens, the high screens, the low screens. But you have to teach awareness for knowing when I'm going to cut and knowing when I'm going to pass. If you don't teach that, uh, stuff. So, so that was fun. That was a great time in my life, too, because I felt like all the hard work that I did paid, paid off in being able to make us a better team, not being in Sports Illustrated. I that was a but it made my team better. And so and we would go, the first year we went to play Worcester, we killed them because they were playing us hard, beating us up, and we're back going laying up. The next year we had great games, and then after that they adjusted and took away everything we tried to do, so then we had to adjust again. And we're back to what you and I talked about, uh, advantage, disadvantage. How can I gain advantage over what you're doing? So it all, it all still comes back together. What are you doing in the game of basketball to put you in a position to always be ahead of the opposition? The number one, get great players, but that's not the answer. The answer is take the players you got and make them better. And then, and then you're always going to be in the game. So shortly after that, you were elected president of the National Association of Basketball Coaches. What, what did that job involve? kinesiology, principles of physical education, full-time teacher, full-time coach, full-time parent, poet. but I was also the chair of Men's Division III basketball for 20 years. And that included a couple meetings every year, it included uh, tournament assignments, it included me going to, to meetings uh, every year. So it was, a, it was another job that I did because I thought I was good to the game of basketball. Well, as the chairman of Men's Division III basketball for those years, they have a representative from Division Three that goes on the NABC, the National Association of Basketball Coaches board, coaches board of Directors. And I had just finished being the chair that that year, 1990, whatever it was, maybe, yeah, 1993, might have been about that time. And I said, you know, I'm done with the committee work. That's, that's just too much time. And I said, they're probably the only position I would take would be on the board, and I kind of laughed, thinking, that's not going to happen. Well, that, about two days later, they called and said, would you be interested in being on the board? We're going to vote. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, that, that would be great. And, of course, the people that are on there are people, Bobby Knight, who I knew, Peter Phelps, who I knew, uh, uh, you know, lots of coaches that, that I knew, and that they knew me from being the reason three coach and chair of Men's Division Three basketball, and because I was involved with the NCAA, because I was involved in a game at a level of volunteering. You know, hey, and if you want something done, give it to a busy guy. So I was really lucky with that thing. It kind of fell into it. And, you know, on the board is just a bigger, you know, they, they talk about everything. Uh, uh, the biggest discussion we had while I was there early was, changing the three-point to the three-point line in a 45-second, at that time, 45-second clock. And that was a real battle. And I was about the only one holding out to keep it. Because I said, well, let's not change the game, and the game, everybody's going to look the same. Now, and it was, the only reason that they're voting is that TV was saying to people, we can't have those star games. 
that they found boring. I thought it was just classical. And it's like you're liking classical music and listening to it as, as opposed to the violin where you're just playing country or you're playing rock music. And that's all you get. You don't get any symphony music. And I'm saying, hey, people, you're, you're eliminating. And I still think that's the truth. And I still, the vote was 13 to 1. And they wanted it unanimous. I said, I'm not voting for it. I don't believe that. So sometimes you got to stand your vote to stand what you believe. And I said, it's going to have to go 13 to 1. It's going to pass. And of course, I adjusted and had a kid that led the nation in three-point shootings the, the first two years. Ricky Brown shot almost 60% from the three-point line. God, did he shoot. I've never had anybody since, but this is my first two years of coaching the three-point line, having a guy that I said, he said, uh, do I have, uh, how many times do you think I should shoot from the three-point line? I said, every time you touch the ball, <laughs> Absolutely. Great coaches in the history of the game. 
had a buddy of mine been in my house. I know one of the big house games, but when I went through it, at the funeral service, his wife came up and hugged me and cried. And I'm gone. Wow. Wow. So life gives you things if you don't turn your back to it. If you don't bitch, you don't moan, you don't complain, and if you do, you get right back on the track and get after it again. And so uh, the, the NABC presidency was, was a wonderful, wonderful experience. It just put me in positions to, to know people and to influence the game and how the game is played and to uh, be a part of it, trying to maintain integrity for Division Three basketball. Uh, it's always great. You know, again, one of those things in life, how did I get there? Was it... Hard work and attitude, or chance and fate, and, and uh, blessings of, of, a, of a Lord that, that is wonderful. So, yeah, someplace in between is the answer. I, I'm not sure I have one, but it, but it, it also was a, just a great, great experience in my life. Great, what a wonderful story. So you retired from coaching, and now you own a company called Solution Based Basketball. What services do you offer to coaches? Well, we're really trying to coach coaches, and the premise being pretty simple that every good basketball player today seems to have a coach, you know, a, a, a fitness guy or a skills guy, or, and, and of course at the uh, top level, you know, LeBron, he's got several coaches. He's got a psychologist, and he's got a shooting coach, and he's got workout coaches, and you know, most of us can't can't do that. But even if you look at business, um, I know I've got a couple of friends that are big business guys. They have consultants that come in to help them. And uh, for some reason, in today's coaching, uh, people, if, if they ask for help, they expect you to give it for nothing, which is not bad. I've done that a lot. I mean, I've, I have with the uh, Princeton stuff, I never charged anybody anything ever to come in and talk to me. You know, come on. Yeah, I, you know, I'll take my time and help you. But I think that are they willing to invest in improving it? And uh, I've got several clients that at this point uh, I think they feel that they need to get better, including some Division One guys and uh, some Division Two and Three, and so and even high school, just to have somebody to talk to, somebody that can improve what what they're trying to do. So that's part of solution based basketball. The other part was the book that, that uh, you know, you, you've talked about a couple different times with me. Uh, the other is a blog that we do to, to promote the game of basketball. And then uh, some articles like uh, how to cut down turnovers, uh, how to become a better shooter. All those little things are on, the, uh, on my website that, that can help you get better. So, uh, you know, and it's, it's in its infancy. Because it's been harder for me, and my wife's the CEO of my company, Jennifer, and uh, she's tremendous. But I have a hard time charging people. <laughs> it's just, I'll give it to you. Here, take it. But uh, I, I think if you want to improve and you want to get better, go ask your friends. But your friends might tell you what you want to hear. So I try to make sure that we set it up to look at what problems, what concerns, you got parent parental problems, you got administrative problems, you got coaching problems, you got teaching problems, you got 
basketball specific? Uh, how do I pick an artistic shooter better? Uh, what do I do in late game? What do I do timeouts? And all the varying types of things that go on. And sometimes, and I know I wish I'd have had one, at night when I get back and I'm gone and one of my players quit, one of my parents attacked me and, and the, the round ball club is that I need someone to talk to. So we talk about specific types of ways that I can help make you better as a coach. And then I'm there as an advisor at any time you meet somebody that will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. So that's, you know, that's kind of the essence of solution-based basketball. And I think as it, as it's going, that it's going to happen. It's going to happen there. So, so you're kind of like this is, uh, you know, one of the, maybe you say your second uh, podcast. We are just at, at the neophyte basis of this. And uh, you know, trying and looking for for ways to make it better because I, I'm new at it. So, but it, it, it's been tremendously a tremendously fun thing because I also worked for a company that I mentioned, 9450, that has a sensor inside a basketball to determine basketball skills. That's 984fifty.com, and uh, it's tremendous. So. I'm doing that, the writing books, got a, my wife and I are consulting with basketball, and I mentioned to you earlier in this thing, the best is yet to come. And uh, so we're, we're trying to help the game. That's that's what I've done. And I'm doing it through Nike with my involvement with Nike now in the summertime, coaching summer coaches, and I'm doing it uh, with our with our solution-based basketball principal. I'm doing it with 9450, and uh, doing it by writing blogs and tweets and just trying to help the game. And, and it's really been fun. It's been, been tremendous for me. I have most of the things in my life have been. I've just been blessed. We've, we've, you and I, in this interview and, and previously, we've talked about the book, The Golden Whistle, and I'd like to wrap up the interview talking about that. You know, my impression of the book is you know, everything that you kind of have talked about in this interview, it's evident to me you poured your heart and your mind and your soul into this book and and you created the 10 nuggets, which people, I would recommend everyone in a leadership position, get a copy of it because I think the nuggets can apply to anything in life. But the way you weave the basketball experiences and stories into it are unbelievable. What, what, what prompted you to write this book? Well, you know, you, you have a book in you. You know, we all have something that we want to say. And it's hard when you're up to your button alligators. And being up to your button alligators was me teaching full-time, me coaching full-time. At one time, I was the athletic director at the same time, uh, raising a family. And, and you just, and my creativity was pretty uh, thwarted for anything but basketball. I just didn't have time to be creative. And so all of a sudden you retire and you get this picture. I've got all this poetry. I've got all this uh, kinesiology. I've got all this philosophy. I've got all this educating that I did for 25 years of talking to people. You know, I know about stars. I know about music. Matter of fact, uh, I took a year to study classical music and it just happened to my wife. I'm dating this gal who's a classical pianist. So I used that. And I, you know, you got to be smart. Um, 
I played pretty graffiti the Grand Canyon Suite on our first date heading up to Columbus to watch the symphony. That's <laughs> not dumb. You know, that has to impress a gal that's going, wow, what, what's this guy doing? So we, we all have one. And I had read a book uh, 25 years ago, and every year I, I would reread it uh, by the name of The Greatest Salesman in the World. If you haven't read it, you, you need to get a copy of it by Og. Mandino. It's that's a great book. Great book. It is. And the book influenced my thinking and my process. So as you know in that book he has ten they don't call them nuggets, but he has his ten little points that he makes. And I could have changed it and made it eleven, that would have been better, or nine, and that may have been better. But and he told a little story about things I'm thinking, yeah, you know, so just the layout of the book, uh my mind was going, bing, 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 and then I needed names of people. So three of the people that I know that influenced it, uh, Coach Taylor, is Fred Taylor. He took the Fred F and made him Taylor instead of Taylor. So you got Taylor. And you got Big K and Little K, Bobby Knight and Mike Krzyzewski, uh, all of who have influenced my life one way or the other. Uh, I would, and it really... I went to see Knight's practices almost every year of the first 15 or 20 years of my coaching career. And I would take my seniors with me so they could watch, and they had to write up a report about what they saw. And the discipline and the attitude and, and the message, and, and most of it was about the language, the F words and the damn, and I was saying, well, cut those out. And what you see that he does that makes him successful and what are the players doing? So we would talk about that. And uh, we'd go to that practice, and then we'd go to see Fred Taylor's practice. And I had this theory about life that there's one way to do it. And I would have rather, I, I leaned more towards night, that kind of practice. Fred Taylor's practice would be, hey, Murphy, get down and do a little rebound with him and come back in about 10 minutes. And he'd be down there with the guys, and it was so disorganized. They didn't have a practice schedule. And Berkey was my college coach, so I'm calling him and said, hey, have you guys got your meetings done for the preseason? He said, oh, we, we, we don't meet. I said, what's wrong with me? They don't know you. What do you mean we don't really meet? And I'm going, well, he said, the coach doesn't believe in that. He thinks that you can work this out too much with all that meeting. And the practices, they, they throw a ball in the stands and he'd laugh and he'd go, well, I guess we'll have to spend some money on football helmets for the fans in the front row the way you guys pass. And I'm going, what, what is that? And so I developed this apple pie theory that my mom made apple pie, and she'd cut the apples up and, and uh, get all the, the crust and stuff and lay it all out and put the cinnamon on it and put it in, and then she'd keep opening the, the door and sticking with a uh, 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 dust it. And she put it back, but boy, the smell used to just, oh my gosh, you could smell all over the house. My wife got out this great big recipe book, laid it out, and went step by step by step by step, and set it at the oven at a degree and did all. And I could smell it, and it was good. Here's one that just did it out of feel, and here's one that did it out of recipe and structure. And both of those pies were good, although I've always told them. I still like my mom's pie. Now, I wouldn't <laughs> say that when my wife was alive, but now she's passed away, I can say that. 
It's a great book. It's the the wave of emotions I got reading it. Laughter, the knowledge, the the what you referenced there with with the wife getting the banner up at the end. It's it, it's it's a wonderful book, and and what a legacy to leave people that may not ever have the opportunity to meet you and and have the discussion that we're having. It's it, it's a great legacy that you've left for folks.
Well, that's, I think that's a great note to wrap up on, Coach. Thank you for being our guest today. Oh, it, it, it's wonderful. Anything that I do that makes me feel as good as I do about this helps me, makes me a better person. And I hope it helps you and helps the people out there in, in some small way. And if it does, wow, that's, that's the best for all of us. So thank you for inviting me and thank you for having me with this. If you ever need something else, don't hesitate to, to let me know. And uh, I think you and I have become I appreciate that. Well, for our listeners, please look at the show notes for the information that we've discussed today with Coach Burson. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the show and give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher. I would love to hear your comments. Have a great day in Ohio or wherever you are.